All right. Good morning. Good morning, ladies. It's it's nice to be back with you today on this chilly day. You know, it tricked us uh, the last day and a half because it warmed up and then, boom, it hit us again, right? Um, so today, just as a reminder, I do have to leave right at 1015. Uh, but that works out well because uh, Val Gady said that they're short-staffed for the children today. So uh, if you have children and if you could get them right away, that would be helpful. So um, we are still in Jonah chapter 1. <laughs> We're moving right along. And uh, so you can, you can turn to that and... Uh, yeah, so today I, I look like I've, I've been a, in, a, in a hockey fight or something on my forehead. I don't know if you noticed that, but uh, so I had a bookcase. I was, I was moving books, and I had a bookcase collapse. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's this big crash, and then there's all these books just, you know, and uh, that's just the way it goes, you know. <laughs> hey, Librarian work can be dangerous business, you know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, the pictures on Facebook of your bookcases. I'm ashamed of my book. <laughs> well, I'm a little crazy that way with all the Library of Congress uh, call tags and you know all that, but. It actually works out well because, you know, I can actually go online then, like if I don't know where a book is in my library, because I have the call tags, I can go online and type it in, and then the Library of Congress call tag will come up for it, and then I just go right to my library and go, oh, there it is. So, <laughs> the problems you have when you have too many books, you know, yeah, but at any rate, let's go ahead and get started since we, since we have to break a little early today. Uh, looking at Jonah chapter 1 near the end, let us, um, let us pick it up at verse 12 and, and read to the end of the chapter. Or maybe we should do verse 10, uh, where it says at uh, Jonah 1 verse 10, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging, 
Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now, I don't know if you've ever caught this before when you have read or studied Jonah, but this first chapter seems to be focused on the conversion of the sailors up on deck. Because when you look at this text, if you look at just chapter one, as we have, have looked at before, they, the first thing that they did was they started calling upon their gods. And that didn't work well. But now at the end, as we look here at verse 14, they called upon the Lord. Now what's interesting here is, as I mentioned earlier, when in verse five, when they're crying out to their gods, you have that word bellow, which as I said last week, is what Jesus does from the cross, he bellows. And so there's this sense of no answer, right? The bellow just kind of goes out into the air and just disappears. But then in verse six, Jonah is told to rise up and call upon his God. And so, you know, to call upon his God is different than the bellowing. But then here's the mercy of the Lord. And, and this is really important that in verse 14, when they cry out to the Lord, it is that word bellow. But in this case, because of the Lord's mercy, he hears their bellow, their bellowing. So, you know, the Father does not answer the bellowing of Christ because he is suffering hell in our place, right? But the Lord is merciful to the sailors that even in their bellowing, they bellow out the Lord's name and so he hears them. It's their cry to him. In verse 11, the sea is prompting the sailors to seek the word from God, from Jonah. It's driving them to faith. Take a look at verse 11 again. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? So they want to hear, they want to hear the word of the Lord. They, you, you can just see this conversion. You know, as I mentioned before, these are rough and tumble sailors. And now they're concerned about the life of another. So you see this change in heart and this change in their minds. You see conversion through the storm, through all this that, that, that they are experiencing. And so in verses 14 and 15, and this I think is notable, the first prayer to the Lord in the book of Jonah comes from the Gentiles. Isn't that interesting? An Old Testament book 
I mean, if you are a Jewish person in a temple, in the temple or in a synagogue, and you're listening to the book of Jonah being read, and you have the perspective of the Jewish heritage good, Gentile heritage is bad, and then you're hearing Jonah and you're hearing chapter one, and you stop and think about the fact that it's the Gentiles who first pray and call upon the Lord. That's striking. I mean, you just wonder like how that would set, but you know, those kinds of things are very subtle in the Old Testament, but they're there. So the storm itself would not have converted anyone on board unless there was a prophet to tell them what it means. So when you think about the scriptures, when you think about prophets and apostles, and you think about the church's proclamation, and you think about the sermons and the works of the pastors, the work of the pastors, you can see that this is what's needed, right? There are storms. There are troubles in the world. People have trouble all the time in all different places. But it's the word of God that helps people to understand what is happening. So that, that is a very important point. So what's behind it? Well, we cannot miss the point that the sailors seem to be incidental to the whole thing. The point is that Jonah is a prophet of God who brings the sailors to a saving knowledge of God. Yes? I think it's amazing that Jonah just told them two things right here. Uh, yeah. The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land, and then he said, and I am clean. That's all he needed. Yeah. That's all that he says. That's all that Jonah says. I'm yeah, I fear the Lord, I'm fleeing from him. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. So Jonah's time. You know, and this is the part that we really focus on, I think, right? Like Jonah's time in the sea is like Christ's descent into hell, right? His death, his burial. It's like his three-day rest in the tomb. And Jonah calms the storm, right? He calms the storm and this is what we see with Jesus. He converts the Gentiles and he teaches them the name of the Lord. So in verse 16, we hear, Donna, you mentioned Jonah saying he feared the Lord. Now in verse 16, we hear of this fear a second time. And I mentioned briefly at the end last week that in the Old Testament, fear, <clears throat> fearing God in the Old Testament is synonymous with the concept of faith, which is often talked about in the New Testament, okay? So we hear of this fear a second time. First time was in verse 10. And this is a reverent fear that makes for worship and devotion. And so, you know, in a sense, you can kind of see 
This is like the inversion. If you kind of think about this one way, it's, it's like the inversion of Noah and the flood. In that case, the flood kills the, all the godless of the world and saves God's people, right? Eight souls and all. But in this case, Jonah, God's prophet, gets cast into the sea, but the Gentiles are saved or spared. So it's kind of an inversion. And then at the end, there's vows of sacrifice and praise, which are done by the sailors. And so this is the normal result that comes from God's rescue. So there are some Psalms. So take a look at Psalm 66. All right, so this is Psalm 66, 13 to 16. And it reads, I will go into your house with burnt offerings. I will pay you my vows, which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. I will offer you burnt sacrifices of fat animals with the sweet aroma of rams. I will offer bulls with goats. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear, but certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. So this is what happens with the sailors. They cry out to the Lord. He hears their prayer. He answers them. He spares them. He saves them. And so then they respond in faith with the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. Also, you can jot this down. The vows also show the sailor's conversion. So Psalm 116, verse 12. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? And then also uh, verses 17 and 19 from the same Psalm, Psalm 116, 17 to 19. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people in the courts of the Lord's house in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. And that's in our liturgy, right? We know that by heart and think about the context for that, that the Lord hears our prayers and he forgives us, blesses us, and loves us, and then we sing as we, as we give thanks and praise. Our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, which is a result of the Lord's gifts. Yes? Um, being pagans, how would they have, I'm assuming they're pagans, unless they're heathens, but how would they come to make the right sacrifice? That's such a good question. You know, that's, you know, these are things where I often wonder, 
what all was going on up on deck? You know, like, did Jonah give them a little bit of instruction that just wasn't included? Because otherwise, they did it wrong, you know. And you don't do it wrong, otherwise you die, right? Yes. That's right. You gotta do it right. And... Were they around well, I don't know. That's a very good question. You wonder if they had, had they ever happened into a, you know, had, had they ever happened into the temple or had they ever happened into another place? I don't know. I don't think so. Right? Yeah. But is there a difference between outward performance? A difference between outward, outward performance. And in, and in the heart. heart. There is a difference between just doing it right, just by rote, without any. Right. The sailors were doing. I mean, right. Outward performance might, might not be exactly the same. Right. But it's in the heart. Right. Well, you know this. So this is this is a good point. You know, and this. So Holly, this makes me think. This reminds me of. In, in the book of Acts with the Ethiopian eunuch. And, you know, he, they're bumping along down the road, the dusty road. And he's, I mean, he's a proselyte for the Jewish faith and he's coming back from the temple and he's reading the book of Isaiah and he doesn't understand it. And so, you know, there's instruction there by the apostle. And then all of a sudden, the Ethiopian says, hey, wait a minute, there's water. What hinders me from being baptized? But in the text itself, there's never any mention that the apostle was actually teaching him about baptism. He was just teaching him about Jesus. But that makes me wonder that he was teaching him the whole thing, like to, you know, to, to be embraced by Christ and to have his blood cover you is to be baptized. And so then the, the Ethiopian says, hey, what hinders me from being baptized? And they're like, all right, let's stop the chariot. And it happens. And so that makes me wonder if maybe, you know, if something like that was happening, right? You can't know for sure. You only know what the scriptures actually tell you. But you know, there's a lot. So maybe that he taught Isaiah. Yeah, maybe, perhaps. And, uh, and I'm sh right, I'm sure, like there's in the scriptures, they tell us what we need to know, but there's also things that happen in between, even with the life and ministry of Jesus, right? You know, John at the end of his gospel says, you know, if I had written down everything that Jesus said or did, I could fill the world, right? So, there's a lot of stuff in between and we're getting, you know, so I'm, that's a really good, really good question. You can't forget about the power of the Holy Spirit working in the hearts of people. That's right. I mean, that's a good point too. The Holy Spirit working in the hearts of the people. They hear the message, right? And the Holy Spirit springs. And of course, as we know, Jonah means dove. So that's interesting too, yeah. So with vows of sacrifice and praise, 
These are, in the Old Testament, the normal results that comes from God's rescue. So let's see here. The nations, or the sailors, are of all different nations gathering together to worship the one true God up there on deck. And this is already then the image of the end times with Jesus. And so let's take a look at a few scripture passages. Go to Isaiah 25, 6 to 8. Isaiah chapter 25, yep, verses 6 to 8. So this is, you know, thinking about the Gentiles and the nations from the Old Testament. And, you know, Isaiah has been referred to as, you know, kind of a gospel of the Old Testament. And you can see why when you read it. And it says here, Isaiah 25, starting at verse 6, And in this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees, and he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people, and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And then a couple more. Let's take a look at Isaiah 60. So this is not incidental, I guess. My point in looking at these verses highlights the fact that it's not incidental that the Gentiles are converted up on deck. So it's Isaiah 60, verses 4 through 9. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. And your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant, and your heart shall swell with joy, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. The multitude of camels shall cover your land. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring golden incense and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. And boy, that sounds like the Magi too, doesn't it? And then one more in Isaiah, Isaiah 66, verses 19 to 21. Okay, so this is Isaiah 66, 19 to 21. I will set a sign among them, and those among them who escape I will send to the nations, to Tarshish and Pul and Lud, who draw the bow, and Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands afar off who have not heard my fame nor seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. 
Then they shall bring all your brethren for an offering to the Lord out of all nations, on horses and in chariots and in litters, on mules and on camels to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord. As the children of Israel bring an offering and a clean vessel into the house of the Lord. And then it continues on. Now, also, what's interesting to add as a footnote to this, Isaiah 66, verses 18 to 20, the place names mentioned there include those nations that are the particular focus of Paul's mission in Romans chapter 15. So there you go. And, you know, so I, this, is, this is an aside, but I think it's important and it's kind of interesting to think about. You know, Paul never just does things on a whim, I don't think. You know, I think Paul is very in tuned to the Old Testament scriptures. And he knows this in Isaiah 66. And of course, he's led by the Holy Spirit, you know, to kind of go along with what Carol had said. He's led by the Holy Spirit. He's reflective of the Old Testament. So Isaiah 66 is mentioning the Gentiles that will come to hear. And so then in Romans 15, what does he do? But he's giving direction. He's thinking, you know, the Lord said this in Isaiah, and now here I am as the fulfillment of this to go forward. I mean, it's pretty remarkable. When you, and so you can see how the scriptures come together. You know, he's, he's not just like, oh, where, what do I think? Where will I go today? Well, the weather's nice over there. The Mediterranean looks really good, you know. But he's, you know, he's thinking about what the Lord's teaching gives us from the Old Testament. So then, this is already then what you see up on deck is the image of the end times in Christ. And so let's take a look at Matthew chapter 8, verse 11. So starting maybe at verse 10. So Jesus heals a centurion servant. And so then in verse 10 of chapter 8 of Matthew, he says, it says, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So now think about those words just in terms of what happens up on deck. So Jonah really is a Jesus figure because Jesus suffers hell in our place, right? He is the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. And so in this text, He's talking about it, and Jesus is talking about it in different terms, but he's saying people will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven like the sailors up on deck, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness, and what happens to Jonah? 
cast out into outer darkness, you see? Now, thankfully, the gospel comes through and helps us to understand all this, that Jesus is the one who is cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, but then all of us come from east and west and we are drawn into the kingdom through the blood of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? So you see this with Jonah. We see a picture of our lives that while we Gentiles are out in the world, the Lord draws us in and gives us a home with him in his kingdom. Yes? Uh, in verse 12, when it says sons of the kingdom will be thrown, is he not also talking about the Pharisees, the Sadducees? He is. And I think that's the primary context. Yeah, that, and what she asked was the sons of the kingdom would be the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, the Jewish hierarchy that know the scriptures, the Old Testament, but do not know Christ. I mean, that's the actual proper context for that. Uh, so that's an important point to remember. And then by way of extension, these other things come to be. So then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And the servant was healed at the same hour. And then, um, let's see here, Luke 13, 29, which, let's see what that, it's the, uh, kind of the same thing here. This is the narrow way and again, this is talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees versus the people that come from east and west. And this is probably good to think about. This is good to read. We, we all know this text, but it's good to, good to ponder. So in Luke chapter 13, verse 22 and following, and he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many I, will, for many I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer to you, I do not know you where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. They will come from the east and the west from the north and the south and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed there are last will be first and there are first will be last. And then on that very same day, Pharisees came and said, get out and depart from here for Herod wants to kill you. So there you go. So there's chapter one really 
So back to Jonah 1. It says in verse 17, and this sort of stands alone, which is an interesting thing. Uh, I mean, it's in the chapter, but at least, I wonder how it is in the Greek. Yeah, it's just part of the text. It doesn't stand by itself. But, you know, verse 17 of chapter 1. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And, of course, we know what that's the, a connection to, right? Our Savior. Yes. What is the word appointed there? Because I feel like I've read versions that said provided. You read something else. Mm. Wow. Um. Yours, yours says the Lord provided. The Lord commanded. Yeah. Well, what do you do when you appoint someone? Yeah, well. Okay, go backwards from the appointment. Hmm. Yeah, you say you're going to do this. Yeah, it's all like commanded or put in order and. It's going to happen, right? The Lord selected it. The Lord selected it, and it was, it was there, and it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So commanded, I think, is sort of... It's just interesting because, like, the idea of, like, provided, it's like, out of mercy, like, the Lord provided this fish, which initially you're like, oh, you know, like, yeah. saved by the fish. Yeah, and I wonder what the Hebrew, I didn't look at the Hebrew to see what it says, but the Greek Septuagint has, has that. And so at any rate, um, I'm having all kinds of trouble here. <laughs> there we go. Uh, so he's in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So let's make just a beginning here. Uh, looking at this, he's swallowed up by a fish, but go to Psalm 124. And this, one of the things to, that I like to emphasize is there is a lot of psalmody and a lot of imagery from the Psalms that are in the book of Jonah. And it will, next week when we get into chapter two and Jonah's prayer in the, from the belly of the fish, it is like a psalm. It is amazing. But the, so here is Psalm 124. Looking at, well, let's start at the first verse. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive when their wrath was kindled against us. Then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream would have gone over our soul. Then the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowler. The snare is broken and we have escaped. 
Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. So the point here is the Lord preserves Israel from being swallowed up. God saves them. And the, right, the history of Israel throughout the Old Testament bears this out. But Jonah, he bears, he bears it. He is swallowed up by death. And so, three days, three nights, also in Jonah 3, verse 3, so getting ahead of ourselves just a little bit, but in Jonah 3, verse 3, Nineveh was a three-day journey. So, you have this same kind of thing at work, this notion of three days to, right, to redeem. And then also in uh, 2 Kings 17.5, Israel endured a siege of three years. And then Exodus 5, verse 3. So they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. I don't know if you ever caught that before. Three days journey to sacrifice, to worship the Lord. So there's something about this over and over and over. And of course, it culminates with Jesus and his three-day rest in the tomb. Now go to the New Testament and take a look at Mark chapter 8. Or did we already look at that? Nope, that was Matthew 8. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. But then now go to Matthew chapter 16, 1 to 4. Matthew 16, verse 1. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red and in the morning it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah and he left them and departed. So see, he means to do this. He, Jesus means to connect these dots. Jonah to him. And then chapter 12 of Matthew, verses 38 to 42. He says it a little, he says a little more. Verse 39, so Matthew 12, 39. 
An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. So there you have Jesus giving us these connections to Jonah and how it speaks of him. So, you know, you see this typology at work where you have the type and the anti-type. So Jonah is a type of Christ. You know, it's sort of like typology. It's sort of like the positive and the negative of photos back in the old days. You'd have the negative showed you kind of the shadows. And then the positive shows you the full picture. And so... A type is like a shadow. It's kind of like a photo negative, and then Jesus is the full picture. Yes? Who's the queen of the south? Um, she was the one with all the wealth that went to Solomon. Yeah. And she saw all that he, you know, she was in awe at, you know. And this too, all of this lends itself to what I have talked about before and in the Old Testament you have centripetal mission, you know, where it, everything draws into the center. So you had the temple in the Old Testament was, was the central place. And so the nations and the people of Israel as well, and so the nations of the earth would see how the Lord blessed the people of Israel and they would draw in and you see this in the Psalms and different places where in terms of, in times of trouble and testing, uh, the prophets will pray to the Lord and say things like, please do not forsake us, but bless us so that the nations may see and be glad, you know, that kind of stuff. And then, you know, so this is centripetal mission but then when you get to the New Testament, it goes centrifugal. And so it goes from Jesus, and then it goes from place to place, so to speak. So it looks like it's time to break today. So t next Friday, we'll jump into chapter two. Yes? I was gonna say, it was the Queen of Sheba, Queen of the South. I looked it up. Queen of Sheba? Yes. Good, thank you. What, what was it? First Kings 10, she was at Solomon, sees this riches, he answered all her questions. Very good. First Kings 10, you said? Okay, so First Kings 10, Queen of Sheba. So, very good. All right, let's go ahead and close with the collect for the week and the benediction. Almighty God, because you know that we are set among so many in great dangers that by reason of the weakness of our fallen nature, we cannot always stand upright. Grant us your strength and protection to support us in all dangers 
and carry us through all temptations. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace.